you know, I think starting my own private practice was very important to me, not only to have that independence and make it my own and being able to help people in the way that I wanted to, but I found working in other practices and working in other areas in the field, I really wasn't able to incorporate the creativity that I like to use as much. And, you know, you're working for someone else and you, I really pull from a lot of different psychotherapy techniques to see what fits for each client and, and what needs to be in their plan. And so that probably thus far has been the biggest highlight for me and just the people that I've met along the way as well, you know, other To overcome, you must educate. Educate not only yourself, but educate anyone seeking to learn. We are all dead America. We can all learn something. To learn, we must challenge what we already understand. The way we do that is through conversation. Sometimes, we have conversations with others. However, some of the best conversations happen with ourselves. Reach out and challenge yourself. Let's dive in and learn something right now. Today we're speaking with Katie Wenger. She is the founder of Higher Fulfillment. She is a psychotherapist, an author, a podcaster, and a course creator. Katie, could you please introduce yourself? Let people know just a little more about you, please. Absolutely. Thank you, Ed, and thank you for having me. As Ed said, my name is Katie Wenger, and I've spent the past 19 years doing individual and couples psychotherapy which has been a very fulfilling and rewarding career. And over the past few years, I've really looked for a way to convert some of the knowledge and experience I've gained throughout that time working with clients to be able to share more globally and be able to put into formats that people can use even if they're not ready for therapy or they're not engaged in therapy or if they'd like to do a course on their own or read through some things. So I'm hoping to help more people really find that peace and happiness that I think we often push to the side to prioritize others' needs and all the roles we play in life. Yeah. So let's clarify, is there a difference between a therapist and a psychotherapist? No, not really. Why psychotherapy is usually used as the term, I think is because there's so many different types of other kinds of therapy, like occupational therapy or physical therapy, that kind of thing. Psychotherapy really refers to the use of psychology through, um, through, you know, practice in working with individuals to address many issues in their lives or relationships. So and there's a lot of different kinds of psychotherapy. Interesting. So growing through adversity, I like this topic. Uh, 
life throws a lot at us and a lot of us tend to get stuck once in a while. Sometimes this can be chronic and long-term and sometimes we just need a little help. So how do you help people evaluate where they are and get unstuck from where they are? Sometimes people come in with a insightful knowledge of where they are, like they really know what they want to work on, what they're coming to therapy to address. Sometimes people don't know what that is and just know how they're feeling and how some things in their life may be going. So I think it takes, sometimes takes that time of exploration in the therapy room to really get to the root of what is impacting them. And what my book and my podcast address is a lot of times, even through that work, it's hard to get to what is really underneath it because maybe things that are subconscious to us, maybe things that we've pushed down for so long and haven't addressed that I try to ask those key questions and pick up on certain things that people are saying to help them further explore what really may be underneath all of that and not only impacts them, but their relationships and their fulfillment and happiness in life. Yeah, through personal experience, I understand it can be very frustrating. and You can have anger and toxic mm -hmm. behavior because of what you're feeling and not understanding what you're feeling. Yeah. And why you're feeling this. It's a hard journey at times. And sometimes we feel people are against us, especially when we go to therapist and we expect them to cure us. They should know exactly what's wrong with us and tell us how to fix it. That's really a misunderstanding of therapy in a way. And you have to be like you just stated, open to a long journey of exploration, opening the little Pandora boxes one at a time, because really, like you stated, that psycho or that subconscious stuff that gets us, that's where a lot of us get stuck in that anger makes us avoid tackling it. Why is that? Well, and that is part of why I really encourage the quiet reflection time individually to go hand in hand with therapy, because I think it takes that time reflecting on your own, whether it's through journaling or reading things that speak to you and resonate, or just thinking through how you're feeling things from the past and present and connecting them to how they made you feel is really an important part of of what to bring into therapy. A lot of times, I mean, most times anger is coming from pain, from unresolved pain and unmet needs. And I don't think people always see it that way. I think a lot of times people feel guilt or shame for feeling anger, even if they don't express that. And it is very uncomfortable to look inward when you can blame or use some kind of technique to project it outwards. 
that you don't have to feel uncomfortable with yourself or change patterns or ways of thinking that either you were taught or you witnessed other people handling emotions or anger in that way, or just became the way that you handle things over the years. So it's that checking in with yourself too, that can bring you more of that insight. Yeah, I like that blame. You know, a lot of the times we blame other people for what <laughs> we're doing ourselves, but sometimes we blame ourselves for what has happened externally. Right. And that sometimes is the most painful part of healing is that external blame. Is there a reason for that? Well, I think insecurity with relationships sometimes or fear of abandonment. So if I ask someone close to me to be accountable for something that they've done or how they've hurt me, then I might lose that person or they might be upset with me. And it's easier to turn it inwards and hold it there than say it out loud and, and try to address it with someone else. And that usually is you know, also a pattern that people develop over the years. And, you know, whether you want to call it people pleasing or fear of abandonment or just fear in general of being alone, even if it's for a time period where that person may separate themselves, you know, for a day or may walk away when you bring it up, that is uncomfortable to be sitting alone with your feelings. Yeah, I, I like that abandonment thing. I, I've experienced that myself. How, how do we stop that miscommunication and think a little bit more about how we're saying things? Because I flop out there a lot with things that I'm thinking and not really think about it. And, and that can hurt other people. Yes, I think it's part of the natural progression of those close relationships, especially in marriage, is that you become more comfortable, hopefully, you know, in a healthy relationship mm -hmm. with sharing those things as they come up. But it is training yourself to take some time to reflect on it, which is you know, will take changing part of, of how your brain is structured and function to be able to take that time to reflect before you express it to the other person. And it also may cause a shift in the relationship, at least initially, because the other person may wonder why you're being silent on something. So making sure to communicate, I'm trying a new way of handling things. If you see me being reflective rather than answering, it's because I am being reflective on how I want to communicate it. And a lot of times, once our emotions die down and dissipate, then our rational part of our brain can take over again and help us develop the best way to communicate what we're feeling. Yeah, so the brain, it helps us protect ourselves. And sometimes it takes over our thoughts and we really get lost and that's when that toxic behavior starts happening in the relationship 
And over the past several years, I've been trying to explore those subconscious things that have affected how I live my life and why I react the way I do. And sometimes uh, it's hard to hit those truthful points that you need to talk about, like you stated a little bit ago. And, and we deny ourselves freedom from this feeling by simply stating the truth. And that's the fear of losing somebody or hurting somebody. But really, once we figure out truth is where healing happens, it's easier to tell the truth in our relationships. It, it took me a long time to get over that I don't want to lose my wife, so I'm going to hide this from her. It makes you feel very vulnerable. Yeah, it does. I, I, I felt ashamed, like you stated, guilty. So it it's really something that I've experienced. And it, it was when I finally said, hey, no more of this. You've got to accept me for who I am, because that's who you married, really. Right. And I want you to know 100% who I am, how I feel. And I've noticed my life and my relationship, they're getting better now. Yeah. Just because of that simple choice of, hey, if she's going to leave me over my feelings instead of helping me identify how to overcome these feelings, which I think partnership and relationship really is key. We have to help each other identify what our brain is telling us because that's wrong a lot of the times. That miscommunication is sometimes because of our own brain, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think that's, you know, where people use that statement, kind of getting out of your own way, kind of thinking that you may be able to come up with many reasons why you are not comfortable sharing how you're actually feeling or sharing the truth, but that is causing harm to the relationship and isn't developing that healthy relationship. And like you said, if, if a person does leave you, for being your true self and being honest about your thoughts and feelings, it isn't right for you anyway. That, that acceptance is, is very important to finding health in your life and your relationships. And you wanna kind of look at it as, do I wanna sacrifice myself for this relationship if I have to hold things inside or not be genuine or not be myself? which, you know, part of that is, is our core is who we are. And part of it, I see changing for people, you know, every three to five years, we, we change a little bit, we grow a little bit, we have different interests, or, or maybe we struggle with something at a certain point or stage in our life. But so it's kind of getting to know that person as an ongoing process. Yeah, I, I like that what you just said, getting to know that person. And really, that means taking the time to 
discuss every aspect of life with your partner. Yes. Because truly, you're not going to know their innermost feelings and thoughts unless you open up to that. It's really important to have a good, healthy relationship. And once you break trust with somebody, this is hard. You know, I've, I've done it with my wife and we've had to overcome a lot of difficulties and try to regain the trust. But once you break the trust, there's truly this film that's left over the relationship. And you have to acknowledge that and accept that once you have broken trust. Have you seen any studies of where couples have really regained 100% trust in each other after breaching trust? Oh, sure. Yeah, I would say, unfortunately, it's, it's a pretty low percentage. I mean, it's a difficult thing to do, right? That healing process. And it depends on the level of trust that was broken. But it's not only a healing process, it's a grieving process for the person who feels betrayed, as well as for the individual that that did the breaking of the trust. And I also find that it often comes from needs of that person that broke the trust that weren't being fulfilled because they didn't communicate them. And so, you know, comes back to keeping things inside doesn't do any good for your relationship and, and can really cause some damage. So we know that it is very common for you know, this, this is a little bit different than breaking of the trust. But um, if you look at couples who have been through some type of infidelity, it's very hard to repair. Some people do it and are very happy. Um, Couples that have lost a child or have gone through a serious illness in the immediate family, or maybe have lost a parent, Um, that puts a lot of stress on the relationship. And and especially if they've lost a child or their child has had a serious illness, it is a low percentage of couples that stay together. And that's, it's very sad, Um, but it's hard to, to redefine. And that's one of those moments where you are at your very most raw, rawest that you can be, and you need to be there for each other and accept the grieving process, however it may look, it may look different than yours. So if you apply that to other things that happen in a marriage with breaking of trust and and look at it as a grieving period, the loss of the relationship that you thought you had, but what can it be? What can it grow into now? And how can you grow past this together? I think is if you focus on that. Yeah, I found a lot of it was that excuses, making excuses for yourself and your behaviors. Mm-hmm. So you, you don't, don't look as tarnished. Right. And actually, I really think that you have to identify how tarnished you truly are 
so you can actually start polishing it up again. Right. And th that was difficult for me to understand. You have to accept yourself being flawed because that's truly where it is. If, if you're going to place blame, the flaw comes because you're accepting that flaw or that, you know, it, it's odd, but you really have to open up to your own faults, your own failures to be happy. Yes, that is very true. I, I like that. I think that a lot of people set such high expectations for themselves that it's hard yes. to do that. And remembering that, you know, we're all human beings. We all have weaknesses. Yes. We all have flaws. And as you said earlier, part of a relationship is putting them out in the open and, and sharing them with yeah. each other and accepting the other person with those flaws. So that can be very challenging because it's, it's hard to admit and it feel it, it can in, in some types of relationships shift that power dynamic, which feels uncomfortable and vulnerable. And it, it presents those challenges, but the, yeah, the couples that are successful are the ones that push through it and are willing to look at all the rawness. Yeah, you know, really, that's that's key insight right there. The ones that push through all the trouble. And, you know, there's different reasons. I, I find, and I, I'm curious what my wife, why she put up with so much with me. And I, I often reflect now why. And I dig deeper so I can understand more about who I truly am because the past is always kind of forming who we are and sometimes we have to drop the walls that we've built up and really find that vulnerable spot and that's hard for men especially I, I know that we we don't like to get vulnerable because it, it tells other men we're weak and uh, I'm telling you that's not the case you're you're way stronger if you can be vulnerable especially with the ones that you love absolutely yeah I think men do feel that pressure to be strong all the time and I think there are a good amount of women that are uncomfortable with the man not being strong all the time. So, so the, the fault in the work is really on both sides because that can be really scary if your husband is, is not appearing strong and he takes down his walls and then you feel kind of unprotected or you feel vulnerable yourself, but that is you're supposed to be joining together and be strong together, but you can't be strong without plugging up those holes, those, those weaknesses. And, and you can't do that without looking at them and being honest about them. And it's part of, you know, I think it's one of the benefits of marriage is, is seeing that, that inner side that 
you know, part of another person that probably no one else gets to see. And that's really special and intimate to go through that together. Yeah. The little things really matter. Yeah. I'm, I'm amazed what, when you slow down and you actually take note of that, the little things always outweigh the big things. It's kind Mm. of odd counterintuitive, but Truly it is. Those things that you miss will be what we see as little things. But family and that that partnership, that's truly key. And I've always tried to keep that forefront in my mind. Family first and everything else kind of just flows from there. Finding that, it's hard. And once you find peace with accepting your family, that that's another big part of relationship because our family, they kind of molded us into what we become before we get into our relationship with our adult partnerships. Yes. So so how how do we look at that and deal with those experiences with family that really are staying for instance uh, a mother you know we always like to listen to our mother as a man sometimes my mother would come before my wife and that's not the way it's supposed to be you should always put your wife before your family in my understanding of things. And I, I really did not do that early in life. I would let that shift to a, a place where it shouldn't have been. So how do we identify and steer our direction to putting our emphasis to our adult partnership instead of what it used to be where our mother was in control of us and telling us what to do. Well, again, you're fighting against something that's very natural and a more longstanding pattern. You know, putting your mother first or going to her is something you've been doing since you were born. And so however many years that is until you meet your spouse or get married, that's the ingrained pattern. So it takes some time to undo that. But I think part of what a lot of people don't do is take that time to reflect on themselves, as I mentioned, and their relationship and evaluate things every couple of years, every few years, you know, like five-year gap max that you are really taking a deep dive into who am I now? What is my relationship? Where can things be worked on and where the thing, you know, where the strengths and what can I be confident about? So it takes time to undo that pattern of putting your mother first and putting your wife above that. And it feels uncomfortable. It feels like a betrayal to your mother probably because you uh, are used to doing that. That's that's your neural pathway that you're following. And 
looking at it as I don't think people always look at marriage as you know I want to use different words than leaving your family of origin behind but you're really creating this new family and so then your family of origin becomes secondary and that mindset shift is tough but you're right it is crucial to a strong marriage yeah uh, i i really do think that so tell us what got you interested in going through all this psychotherapy and digging into the mind and people studying people basically for me it's the it was a realization that we can change things in our mind we can change things in our brain that then impact everything else how we're feeling how we're thinking our behavior what we get out of life how successful we are and that we have that ability to do that at any point is really exciting to me, I think, and mind-blowing that we have that type of control over ourselves and, you know, at least part of our journey. You mentioned in the beginning that life always throws you curveballs and that happens to everyone. But if you are, if you have those concrete strategies in place, you can navigate that. It doesn't mean that it won't be painful and hard, or it might end with an outcome that you wouldn't have chosen but you know how to navigate it in a way that you can keep yourself and and hopefully your relationships intact. I, you know, early on, I experienced some things in life that I had to rebound from, you know, really painful loss. And, um, you know, thankfully I had a healthy family supporting me, but I've seen as I've gotten older that, as you, part of what you said, I think relates to this, that I followed really what I saw growing up and, and how I saw my parents and, you know, all the other adults in my family handling relationships and parenting and life. And for me, I have to do it a little bit differently. It's, it's what's right for me. So to be able to get to that point, to take what I observed and learned and what was ingrained and make that my own was hard to do. Um, But I think that ties into my interest in the field also and being able to experience it myself, these processes and the strategies and everything that I encourage my clients to do, I do myself. And being a human being allows me to to get an insight into that, maybe not exactly how they experience it, but how that works for us and um, how the field of psychology can just really enhance your life. So, so what are some of the highlights of your career helping other people? Well, I think I certainly have clients that have stood out in my mind that I've seen great success, you know, probably, you know, the, that have been the most successful and that 
just gives me a feeling that I, I don't think I could replace with anything else. Um, someone who is really struggling or has gone through something really traumatic and being able to change their lives and make those choices for themselves is what makes me excited to go to work every day. So I have certain clients that stand out in my mind. I also have certain clients that that really did stay stuck for a long time. And that made me dive deeper into this whole theme that I wanted to write about and explore deeper. If they are doing all, all the right things, so to speak, you know, on the surface and they're digging into some of these areas that are impacting them, but there's still something deeper there that they're not getting to. And that's what people have to tap into when they're feeling stuck to make that progress. And, you know, I think starting my own private practice was very important to me, not only to have that independence and make it my own and being able to help people in the way that I wanted to. But I found working in other practices and working in other areas in the field, I really wasn't able to incorporate the creativity that I like to use as much. And, you know, you're working for someone else and you, I really pull from a lot of different psychotherapy techniques to see what fits for each client and, and what needs to be in their plan. And so that probably thus far has been the biggest highlight for me and just the people that I've met along the way as well. You know, other colleagues that I really respect, have learned so much from, um, uh, people in other fields that have given me great insight into the human condition and to how they see the world and handle things. That's also something I get a lot of joy out of is just connecting with a lot of people. You do a lot of social media work and awareness content yeah. that that's huge. You know, we, we don't, we don't need a lot of this stuff that we're dealing with in our world today. And people can get help simply by going to YouTube or a podcast. Uh, I find long form podcasts to be some of the most therapeutic ways of handling things because you get a more detailed sense of what people are actually feeling and thinking. And uh, I just find this very helpful. Conversations change lives. And I, I think you're, you just started your podcast this year. Right. What, what's your thoughts on podcasting and the, the way it communicates with others? I really enjoy it. To me, it's easier to explain something verbally or share thoughts or experience or knowledge that way, rather than writing it down. I feel like I'm more effective explaining it to someone verbally. And so I have enjoyed that aspect of it as well as bringing on guests and having that conversation and getting different perspectives and thoughtful questions from those guests that have made me think about things in a different way. 
And I've gotten a lot of feedback from people who say that certain episodes were what they needed to hear at that time or explain things to them in a way that they hadn't thought of that really is helpful to them with what they're finding challenging at that time or something they've been trying to work on or develop within themselves. So I I love the podcasting and I I love listening to others as well. I think I've, I've certainly learned a lot. So reflecting back, have you hit the mark that you've kind of aimed for in life? Yes. Yeah, I think so. And I, you know, I say I think so because it feels that way right now, but I don't know what the future will hold. And I hope to continue to grow what I'm working on and get the information out to more people that need to hear it the way that I explain it. Um, and, you know, I think, I think I'm at like the midpoint, you know, and I, but I would be happy if this was the pinnacle of what I reached. I, my career is more than I ever thought it would be. And, but that only makes you want to make it more, I think, to keep going with it. You know, part of what I has shifted for me over time as well is when I was a young mother, I felt like the majority of my attention and time had to be spent in that role. And I love being a mother. I love being with my children. I love raising them and watching them grow. But to me, my career I realized that my career was so important to me that I couldn't put that on the back burner. So I had to find that balance and I had to start working more and make my career more of a priority, which led to some hard decisions for me, like putting the kids in daycare, you know, which I thought I would never do. Like I would keep them at home and I could just juggle all of this and, Um, you know, things like that or (laughs) missing certain things. I mean, I don't think I've missed anything really huge, but there's definitely times I would have liked to be there that I was doing things that I had to do for work. But all of that makes me feel like a whole person and them seeing me happy and successful in all the areas of my life, I think is the healthiest for them and the best model. So that that was definitely a shift for me that probably happens like in I guess in my 30s maybe early 30s but yeah it's different than I my life is different than I thought it would be in a good way yeah yeah it's odd how pivot points happen in our life and we we get to choose to take those or stay the course Mm -hmm. and it's really interesting when we find the courage to just go with it and you know failure is good it's what we do with the failure afterwards and a lot of us we get stuck because we don't want to fail right but really you've got to fail to be good and to be a master at anything you've got to fail 10,000 plus times on the simplest things. So yes. I, I always encourage people to 
try new things. You, you never know what you're going to like because you haven't tried it. Yeah. And you never know what you're going to be good at until you actually put the effort in and give it a good go. Mm -hmm. True. A uh, uh, true try, not just, yeah, I did it. <laughs> right. So yeah. challenging ourselves, it, it really makes a difference in our life a difference in our life right what what's the what's the incentive to challenge ourselves because i don't think you can reach your full potential without doing that and i think without failure in our life you know going back to that you miss a lot of important lessons and a lot of moments, a lot of good things come out of failure and, you know, experiencing it personally is extremely scary and um, something you want, like your gut tells you to avoid at all costs. But looking back at some of the things that I've failed at, that. I, I wouldn't have the knowledge and probably the confidence that I have today if I hadn't gone through it. But at the time, thinking about how much I was on the fence about certain things and how easy it would have been to go the other way and avoid things or or not grow and things with my career, um, you know, and, and embracing, you know, whether it's embarrassment or, yeah, just feeling like you weren't good enough on certain things, but then you look at, okay, that's not the right path. What is, but it, it's, it's hard, especially to put your work out there and receive a rejection or receive negative feedback is really tough. And I think um, people that do that and push through that really get a lot of strength from it. Yeah that's hundred percent. I agree with that. So is there anything that you'd like to add to our conversation that you'd like people to know? Well, I think we've hit on a lot of the key points of where, you know, some of these things that are under the surface, like the fear of failure and the fear of abandonment, um, putting other people before us, some of the other things that I talk about in my book and my podcast have to do with the ways in which we devalue ourselves and maybe don't even realize that we're doing it. And that may be the norm for some people. And that is fueling a lot of the emotions or the reactions that are coming out and they don't realize it. A lot of, you know, talking about parents. I mean, it's not just parents, but I hear a lot of parents of young kids talking about how overwhelmed they get. And that just blossoms into different emotions and impacts their marriage and, you know, sometimes their career. And I think when people are having all those emotions, they're not identifying that they're really at a point of overwhelm. And so I think that's important to point out. I mean, we talked about blaming others. I think another key one to look at is um, catastrophizing, which is some of what we were just discussing that, you know, it might play into that fear of failure with things, thinking, okay, this, 
this is the worst thing that could happen. What if it happens? Or this is going to happen. And I always tell people a lot of our what ifs never happen. So why, why worry about them when there's a good chance they're not going to happen? And if they do happen, then you handle them at that time. So, you know, I, I think our conversation has, has really dug into a lot of the parts that I've been researching and thinking about and, and writing about lately. And it is good for people to, you know, hear from people like you and your personal experiences that you've had with some of those things and, you know, some of the personal experiences that I've had and to know that it's not the worst thing that could happen. And, you know, it sounds like your marriage ended up in a better place. And that's wonderful because a lot of people, some of those things that you said, some of those themes where you got stuck in your marriage or you and your wife got stuck, a lot of people wouldn't have worked through that. And that's right. that happiness and joy and connection and bonding that's on the other side would have been missed. That's right. That, that, that's key right there. You know, the happiness that you find in yourself after the troubles is yeah. really worth the trouble. You know, I, I don't want to go through it and I don't wish it upon anybody, but I'm glad I went through the things that I did because I, I really truly know myself a lot better and I can empathize with my own relationship, it's, it's better. So yeah, I think once you put the work into anything in life, it becomes better. And marriage, it's every day. It, you don't get a holiday. You know, it's <laughs> like having children. You don't get a holiday. It's there. So you have to really incorporate your life around it. And that's not a burden it's a joy and a lot of people look at these things as well that's trouble that's a burden it's not it's part of your life and it's up to you to make it joyful and that means communicating in its entirety in its fullest and i love being married uh, i used to like oh gosh I, I wish I could get out of this, but no, I love being married now because it is a challenge every day. And, you know, that's owning up to that responsibility that that really can build your character. So, you know, yes. being being with my wife 40 years uh, together that that's an accomplishment in many ways because the divorce rate in america is it's crazy and yes. really it's about ownership owning up to what you're doing that's what we need do you have a call to action for us Yes, you can reach out and discuss with me what you think might be the most helpful to you at this time, whether it's consultation or it's the taking, you know, time to read through my book or to explore one of the courses, but you can go to my website, higherfulfillment.com. And as I said, either reach out to me or 
choose what might be most helpful to you and start that journey of your individual health within the relationships in your life. Yep. And so the best way to get a hold of you is through your website. Yes. Um, all my information is on there and all the social media links. So you can get to all the other places from there. Also on um, Instagram at the relationship consultant and TikTok is at Katie relationship expert. And that's where I post a lot of my information. We'll get those links in the show note area. And I want to say thank you for sharing with us today. It's a, been a fantastic conversation. And I'm sure somebody might get a little bit out of this. And hopefully it helps somebody. Thank you, Katie, for being with us today. Yes, thank you, Ed, for having me. It was a wonderful conversation. Thank you for joining us today. If you found this podcast enlightening, entertaining, educational in any way, please share, like, subscribe, and join us right back here next week for another great episode of Dead America Podcast. I'm Ed Waters, your host. Enjoy your afternoon, wherever you may be.